Romans chapter 12, we've already covered verses 6 and 7, but let's read it again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us, in our ministering, he, he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows kindness or mercy with cheerfulness. Remember the theme of chapter 12. It is service. The theme is service to God and service to one another. We've been called to become a living sacrifice. That spoke of our consecration in verse 1. In verse 2, Paul speaks of our transformation, refusing to be squeezed into this world's mold. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, we were called to evaluation, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. Paul has asked us that before we begin our discussion of spiritual service and spiritual gifts, that we make sure that we have the right spiritual attitude. Again, Warren Wiersbe writes, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight with. I like that. Each person who knows and loves Jesus... Each person who's been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each person has been given a unique set of gifts. In a particular balance. In a particular way. In order to ensure individual health and corporate spiritual health. No person has been given a gift to simply squander that gift on personal ambitions. The believers in Corinth were tearing each other apart and they were tearing the ministry apart because they were abusing spiritual gifts. On my desk I have a can of dust off. I don't know if you know what dust off is. It's one of those little high compressed uh, compression gas things that you use to, to, to spray on your computer or to spray on the, on the keyboard. It's supposed to be used to keep the dust off my computer. But there's a warning label on it. It, I always turn it towards me when I'm working on this study. It says, quote, dust off is a serious product. Inhalant abuse is illegal and can cause permanent injury or be fatal. Please use our product responsibly. Now, again, I have this. It never occurred to me that I could just point it in my mouth and take a great big hit. <laughs> it comes with a warning. And spiritual gifts come with a warning. We use our gifts to glorify God. We use our gifts to exalt Jesus. We use our gifts to build one another up, to edify the body of Christ. God's gifts are for God's people and for God's service, but also for God's success. Augustine anticipated the danger when he wrote, quote, It is easy to want things from the Lord and yet not want the Lord himself. As though the gift could ever be preferable to the giver. In all that Paul is saying, he's not encouraging you to want the gift more than the giver. He wants you to want the gift so that you'll want the giver and provide for one another. Again, in verses 6, it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In the New Living Translation, it says, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith. That God is speaking through you. 
Remember what a spiritual gift is. The word is charisma. It's the special ability given by God. A spiritual gift is the supernatural ability given by God to every Christian so that he or she may function in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are distinct from natural talents. Unbelievers have natural talents. A spiritual gift is given by God. It is not attained or secured on one's own behalf or one's own benefit. Spiritual gifts determine our place of ministry in the church. And the gifts are given for our employment, not necessarily our enjoyment. However, it's been my experience that there is no greater joy than being able to exercise the gift that God has given to you. Some Bible teachers suggest that the believer is given only one gift, but I tend to reject that notion. I'm going to suggest to you that every believer is given several gifts. To me, the gift is like a cluster of grapes. And on that cluster of grapes, they may be different in size and proportion, color and juiciness, but they're all given together in order to provide sustenance and nourishment. I'm going to suggest to you that you probably have a dominant gift. Just like you have dominant genes. And you have recessive gifts, just like you have recessive genes. But the dominant gift and the recessive gifts, all working together, provide the mechanism that makes you uniquely you. Taken together and exercised according to the grace that's given Let us use them. By the way, in verse 6, where it says, let us use them, you probably have a Bible that has that in italics. That means it's not there in the original text. But it's understood. Why do we believe that it is implied and understood? By all the verses that follow. All the verses that follow encourage us to use them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Not my will. Not even your will. If the gift were given according to my will then I would make sure all of you have the gift of giving and that we never have to worry about a financial issue ever again for as long as we live. But that's not how it works. We receive gifts in combination according to the supernatural wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And let me be clear, if you can grasp this one significant principle, you'll avoid boasting that's mentioned earlier. And you'll avoid a number of other pitfalls because you realize it's God by the power of his Holy Spirit that has given you the unique and specific talents, gifts, and then the the combination of those. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts. TV evangelists do not give the gifts. The TV evangelist who invites you on the television to go, now, brothers and sisters, put your hand on the television screen. And God is going to impart to you whatever it is that the TV evangelist usually wants, and it's usually money. Gifts are not imparted or transferred. By hanging out in the grave of former dead evangelists. I listened to Benny Hinn on TV one time. And he was describing how he received the anointing and the empowering and the gifting by going to Catherine Coleman's grave. And he walked over her grave and it was like electricity shot up through his body. It makes for, you know, an entertaining story. But it's not true. God does not give gifts by walking over people's graves. 
Gifts are not received by reading the Bible like an REI catalog and picking out the one you want. The Bible is a supernatural document, but it is not a supernatural menu where we pick and choose like we do at our favorite restaurant. The gifts are given sovereignly by God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, and for the edification of his church. And so this is why when Paul says, if prophesy, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul begins with seven fragrances designed by God. For the body of Christ. And I love thinking about the gifts like fragrances. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and hug you and say, Mmm, you smell good. It sure beats the opposite, huh? Uh, wow, that's quite an odor coming off of you. Isn't it funny how fragrance and odor are two words that have something to do with smell, but each leave you with an entirely different impression? The same is true of gifts. The list that Paul gives isn't exhaustive. There are at least five passages in the Bible that deal at length with spiritual gifts, as well as other passages that refer to them in passing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. And then again in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses um, 10 and 11, where it speaks of serving and, and teaching. But here in Romans, he brings up prophecy. Service or serving, teaching, encouragement. He, the person who gives, the person who leads, the person who shows kindness or mercy. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor and teacher, or as some people translate it, pastors who are teachers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. So on that list, we have the word of wisdom. We have the word of knowledge. The word of wisdom seems to be the supernatural ability to take the revelation of God and apply it in a practical way. The word of knowledge seems to be a specific ability, if you will, or the supernatural ability to uncover some sort of bit of information. Again, the whole point being for the edification of the body, faith. Healings, workings of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits or discernment of spirits. This seems to be the ability to determine whether or not something is coming from a supernatural source that is God. I'm going to suggest to you that the discernment of spirits has to do with whether or not this is coming from the spirit or whether it's coming from the spirit world. Whether it's coming from a supernatural source that is benevolent or malevolent, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, it says, And God has appointed these in the church, 
First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings and helps and administrations and varieties of tongues. And then he asks the question. It's emphatic in the original language and has as its consequence the way that the sentence is constructed to come up with the answer no. So when he says, are all apostles It's like a rhetorical question which requires the answer no. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? The answer is no. Are all workers of miracles? The answer is no. Do all have gifts of healings? The answer is no. Do all speak with tongues? The answer is no. Do all interpret? The answer is no. But the implication seems to be that there are Human beings who are supernaturally entrusted with specific gifts, perhaps at specific times, in order to accomplish specific purposes. So on that list is apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, speaking in tongues, and interpreting tongues. Spiritual gifts are the special ability, the supernatural ability. To perform certain activities. Now it's very important that we remember something. Even though certain Christians are given certain supernatural gifts. Every Christian is called to witness. Some people have a supernatural ability that seems extraordinary. But that doesn't mean that all Christians aren't called upon to share Christ. To tell people about Jesus. All Christians share Christ. All Christians serve. All Christians give. Service, witness, generosity. These are all common traits which identify Christians as Christians. Now different Bible teachers will draw different conclusions about the precise number and meaning of the spiritual gifts that are listed in these passages. And some suggest that some of the gifts, like I said last week, were to authenticate the gospel message. Others suggest that the gifts are available and are given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in every generation. My own belief is that all of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit for the church are for each generation. I believe the arguments for the termination or the secession of these gifts are not compelling or persuasive. And I'm going to proceed with the idea that each of these gifts continue to be given, continue to be exercised, continue to be used for the benefit of the church. In other words, all the gifts come and are available to the body of Christ without an expiration date, without a termination date. When you buy bread or you buy food or you buy certain things from the store, you can look on the can and it'll say, this is good through whatever date. We went through our own food closet and anything that was dated from 2010, we threw out. Why we kept it for four extra years, I have no idea. I think that certain things really do have an expiration date, but I don't see that concerning spiritual gifts. I see that the scripture offer warnings concerning the the spiritual gifts, cautions and dangerous abuses of the gifts, but I don't see an expiration date. So we proceed with caution. We have to remember to read the label. We have to understand the instructions. Now we could very well benefit By spending a Sunday on each of the gifts. But that is not my purpose this morning. My purpose this morning is to explore the gifts that are given in the book of Romans. For the purpose of pointing you in the right direction. And that's why we've posted a spiritual gift inventory at our website. Some of you have the ability to go to calvarycsd.org. That's our website. Go to calvarycsd.org. If you have the ability to go online, just go online, go to our website, and you'll see an icon called resources. What you do is you click on that resource page, 
and it's going to give you a a list. You can see there on the left, there are several things that are listed on the resource page. And you go down the resource page and you click on the, the resource entitled Spiritual Gift Inventory. When you, when you click on that, you're going to come up with a spiritual gift inventory. Now, you can take, that, take the, the test, if you will, because you want to. Not because you have to. But if you're at all curious about who you are, what God has designed you to do and to be, there's going to be about a hundred questions. And so it's going to take a little bit of time. But if you have the opportunity, I'm going to suggest to you that you take this test. And I think, again, it it isn't a foolproof test that's going to absolutely permit you to peek uh, into your heart. And remember, remember, the test is only going to be as good as how honest you are about your circumstances, your heart, your preferences. So the whole point... begins to help us understand your spiritual gifts, your spiritual callings. Because when you discover and exercise those gifts, it's going to lead to personal spiritual health and corporate spiritual health. So how can we know what our gifts are? Well, let me give you three suggestions rather quickly. Number one. Discover what gifts are talked about in the Bible. Remember, I've already given you the lists of where to find them and what they are. Number two, be willing to exercise one or more of those gifts. And number three, be active in your church because the use of one gift will often lead to the recognition And the discovery of another gift. I'll give you a little bit more on that in just a moment. My friend Don Stewart, who used to uh, co-host a a program with Pastor Chuck Smith, um, has written several wonderful books, including a little book entitled Introduction to the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you're looking for a great resource on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I would recommend a book by Donald G. It's G-E-E, called The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, or Don Stewart, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, in his book, he writes, quote, this is Don Stewart, he writes, there are four Greek words found in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians that describe spiritual gifts. The first word, charisma. The second word, Pneumatikos, the third word, diakona, the fourth word, energemata. Each one describes certain aspects of spiritual gifts, unquote. And so the word charisma, in its plural form, is the word charismata. Some of you have heard that word before. Charismata sounds a lot like charismatic. And maybe you grew up in a world where charismatic meant crazy. You know, people who foam at the mouth or hang from chandeliers or or run around the room. Even though there are people who might do weird things, the word itself is not a weird word. It just simply means a multiplicity of gifts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, Now there are different charismata, gifts, but the same spirit. The implication being that this is a grace or a supernatural or a spiritual gift. And so, again, when we think of spiritual gifts... It's very, very important that we remember this is a special God-given ability. The second word, pneumatikos, it's a word that means the things of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about spiritual gifts, it translates the word, Now about 
pneumaticos, brothers. I don't want you to be ignorant. It's very, very important that we understand when Paul draws attention and specifically says, I don't want you to be ignorant about something almost invariably. It's the thing that people are most ignorant of. And so the word means spirituals or spiritual things or spiritualities. The English translators add the word gift. Some say that they think that it might be a mistake since the word spiritual or spiritualities doesn't always imply a gift. But it's talking about something invisible and supernatural. We understand in the very real world in which we live, there's a physical world and there's a spiritual and a supernatural world. And so Paul is drawing attention to the invisible, supernatural. And then he uses the word diakona or diakonia. And that means service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, it says, And there are varieties of ministries. He uses the word diaconia or diakona. And the same Lord, when he uses that word, it leaves the reader with the impression of something practical. It is supernatural but it is an impression that these spiritualities, these spirituals are given for service. And then energamatic, or the fourth word, is energemati. It's a, it's a word that means effect or operation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6, it says, and there are diversities of activities, that expression diversities of activities translates this word energemata. The idea, again, being something invisible that acts on something visible in order to get it to function. Maybe one of the illustrations that we could use in our own culture and society is we have several different things that are electronically driven. And unless you plug it into the wall, it won't work. And so I'm going to suggest to you that there are diversities of activities, but the same God and the emphasis here is a work that can be energized by the Spirit, or by the operation of God. And when we combine these words, we find that spiritual abilities and gifts are given to believers for service. Service in the church. They're spiritual in the sense that they operate in the realm of the Spirit. They're spiritual in the sense that the source is the Holy Spirit. But this doesn't mean that everything that we do looks supernatural. When you provide water for a needy villager, it doesn't necessarily look supernatural. When you go visit a prisoner in prison, when you cook for Jesus, when you provide on behalf of Jesus, when you love people, minister to them, service them, when you repair their home, it doesn't look supernatural. But Paul assures you that the source is the Holy Spirit and there is an invisible supernatural unction which allows you to do that which looks natural but will often have supernatural consequences. Now remember what else I said. Once you are aware of one gift... It will often 
lead to the manifestation and expression of other gifts. A good example of that is Philip in the book of Acts. When we're introduced to Philip in the book of Acts, he's working at the Jerusalem Open Door Cafe in Acts chapter 5. He's waiting on tables. He's praying with men and women. He's serving them. He's feeding them. He's giving something to them. In his faithfulness, it would appear that God then opened up an opportunity for evangelism in Acts chapter 8, verse 5. This is the same Peter who, or excuse me, this is the same Philip who we see in Acts chapter 8 running alongside the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch or an Ethiopian treasurer who's reading from the book of Isaiah, from the scroll of Isaiah. And he says to the Ethiopian, Do you know what it is that you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone tells me? And he hops up on the chariot and he begins to expound the scripture. And then he points him to Jesus. And the Ethiopian accepts Christ as his savior. And he says, what forbids me from being baptized? And he goes, nothing if you really believe. And they get down into the water. And you'll remember that something supernatural happens. The, the, the Israeli evangelist goes into the water. The great big Ethiopian treasurer goes into the water. One comes up, but the other one doesn't because he's taken away. He's spirited away. And so faith, if we will use our gifts, will often bring enlarged opportunities. And so, he gives the list. And like I said, I could quite easily go over each and every one And not exhaust the meaning of any single individual gift. But let's just quickly go through the ones that are here listed in Romans. And and, and again, prophecy. So what is prophecy? Remember, in the Old Testament, it was the gift of the Holy Spirit given to certain men and women to proclaim, to explain the word of God and the will of God. And so, is there a sense in which each and every Christian has some semblance of this gift? I'm going to suggest to you that if there's something inside of you that says, I want to tell people the truth about Jesus and tell them the truth about the gospel, Tell them the truth about salvation. Tell them the truth about the future. Then this might be a part of your life. Now there was sometimes in prophecy a future element. But in our culture and society. Almost uniformly when people hear the word, of prof- hear the word prophecy. They think future. Now it is true that God gave certain people the ability to see into the future by the power of the Holy Spirit. Most notably Isaiah in the Old Testament. Most notably Daniel in all of his visions. And John, of course, in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we're introduced to a man named Agabus who predicts a drought. And he predicts the arrest of Paul, the apostle, in Jerusalem. But the emphasis in the New Testament on prophecy really has more to do with preaching the truth. And see, people who come to church on Sunday, they go, hey, did you hear the preacher? Now, again, I've told you, what's the difference between a teacher and a preacher? A teacher will give you instruction. A preacher will urge you to follow the instructions. And so, guess what? You serve in the role of prophecy every time you urge someone to believe the truth. Won't you believe it? Won't you believe the truth about Jesus? Won't you believe the truth about his love? Won't you believe the truth about his sacrifice? Won't you believe the truth? I was witnessing and sharing with a person, one of my coin club friends. And... This particular person um, doesn't believe in Jesus. Doesn't, 
isn't sure what he believes about God or about certain things. And he said something really interesting. He said to me, just like out of the blue, I wish I could see a ghost. And instead of freaking out and going, oh, that's a bad thing. I said, what is it about seeing a ghost that you find so attractive? And he goes, let me think about that. And as he began to think about it, he realized that what he meant by that was that if it could be proven that there was a supernatural manifestation of a real person who survived death, it would give him hope that maybe death isn't the end. That when you close your eyes and your heart stops beating, that there's something beyond that. That there's something beyond that. This is the idea The emphasis on the New Testament prophecy has more to do with preaching the truth about Jesus and the gospel than predicting the future. So the person with the gift of prophecy has the ability to communicate God's message of truth with boldness and clarity. And certain individuals in the New Testament spoke with this strong sense of divine inspiration. They were to prophesy, it says, according to the proportion, analogia. It's a word that means according to strength, according to clarity, with passion, or other qualities of faith. So it's it's the idea of the character and mode of speaking. It's conformed to the rules and limits which are basically in proportion to that individual's degree of faith. What can you say with confidence? I can say with confidence that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead, that when you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you can experience wholeness and wellness. The scripture is clear. The function of the New Testament prophet was to edify, exhort, and comfort In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, building up, exhortation, encouragement, comfort to men. 1 Corinthians 12.10, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. We could spend several weeks just on that statement. But let me be clear. It seems to me to include the articulation of the gospel. Prophecy is the gift of speaking under the inspiration of God's spirit. It may include prediction. But it must include proclamation. Clearly a person can't be a prophet... If they don't know the Lord. That makes sense to you, doesn't it? How can a self-proclaimed person proclaim that they're a prophet, but then disconnect the truth of Jesus' message of his life, of his love, of his sacrifice, of his death and his resurrection? And for this reason, it's inappropriate to call Muhammad a prophet. Because he didn't believe that even for a minute. It would be inappropriate to call Joseph Smith A prophet. A prophet can't be a prophet by very definition if it's disconnected from the gospel. And so, the Old and the New Testament speaks of false prophets who twist and distort the word of God. So we might think of prophecy as presenting the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth as it's revealed in the person of Christ and and in the New Testament. And so there's the gift of ministry. Again, the word is diakona or diakonia. The word appears three times in the book of Romans and is translated three different ways. In chapter 11, verse 13, it translates office. In chapter 15, verse 51, it translates service. The word is used in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, a preparing 
a meal. You know, make no mistake about it, a meal's ministry is a supernatural ministry. You never realize how important meals ministry is until you're hungry. And so, we should have chefs for Christ. I remember a long time ago when I was asking my son Anthony, Anthony, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? He goes, I want to be a cook. I want to be a chef. And I said, you can be a chef for Jesus. You can cook meals for the glory of God and for the benefit of the body of Christ. But almost always in the New Testament, service refers to service. Not just simply in the name of Jesus to the Christian church, but it is service in the name of Jesus to the church, but also to the watching world. But I'm going to suggest to you that it is service primarily to the body of Christ. This is what the Bible says. Do good to everyone, but first of all, those who are of the household of faith. So here the gift of ministry means the special ability to serve, to assist, to minister, to aid, to help, to assist others, to assist them in such a way that they're built up and to assist them in such a way that they are truly blessed. This ministry is a practical ministry and many of you have this gift. Do you know someone who's always willing And unusually gifted in helping others. Usually your conversation with them begins something like this. I just want to help. I just want to help. Thank God. That there are people who are willing and unusually gifted to help. Thank God most of you help on most occasions. But the person with the gift of ministry has been given the supernatural ability. To help. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Therefore as we have opportunity. Let us do good to all. Especially those who are in the household of faith. James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father. Is to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When a man or a woman loses a husband or a wife. When a child loses a mother or a father. There's a profound void and difficulty and need. And what's interesting to me, it's not clear what kind of service that it is, but it is service. It is practical, observable service. Whether it's cleaning bathrooms or washing toys or serving in the children's ministry, it is service and it's service to Jesus. You might not think, you mean I can clean the bathrooms to the glory of God and Christ? The answer is yes. You mean when I'm actually cleaning the carpet, I'm doing it for Jesus? Exactly. The person with this gift is indispensable. Some Bible scholars associate the gift with the administration of alms. And the attendance to the bodily needs. In the early, early church, there were specific men and women who were entrusted With the money. They were entrusted with the money in order to make provision to those who had needs. Kind of like our open arms ministry or our benevolence ministry. Sometimes this is translated practical service. Which is contrasted with preaching and teaching. Now this is very interesting to me. Because preaching and teaching aren't under the category of practical service. But God knows I want you to be blessed and benefit from what I'm saying. And so, servers are faithful. Servers are loyal. And remember, it's done wholeheartedly. Teaching, didaskon. Teaching is the supernatural ability to communicate biblical truth to others. By the way, again, this is the supernatural ability to explain, to root, and ground the saints in the truth of God. 
and this becomes a really important point, the gift of teaching isn't just simply the ability to tell you what the text says or even to draw a practical application to your life. What if I told you that teaching must involve the supernatural ability to keep people in the word of God? I think that that's an important part. Because you might be wondering, oh, I don't know if I have the gift of teaching. Well, guess what? You probably do have the gift. If when you are with others, you're saying stuff like, are you in the Bible? Are you in the word of God? Are you reading your Bible? Have you read the passage? Have you read a chapter? Not for the purpose of making you feel miserable or guilty for not reading the Bible, but for the purpose of connecting you with the text so that you will be connected to life, so that you will be connected to love. It's connecting you with the revelation of the truth of God. The word of God is proclaimed by prophets, but it's explained by teachers. The teacher has the task of explaining the scripture. And this is one of the reasons you know you're a teacher, because you explain it day in and day out and week in and week out. This is why the powerful people in our children's ministry who are in the first grade, the second grade, the third grade, who are working and ministering and teaching, whether it's in men's ministry and women's ministry and children's ministry and student ministries, it's because they're keeping them connected. They're keeping them rooted and keeping them connected grounded in the scripture. This is what Jesus means in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Teachers connect people with the truth day in and day out. But what if I also suggested to you that they're clear thinkers? And I know what some of you are thinking, okay, that, you lost me now. Well, guess what? I think that there's a glut of teachers. But there isn't a glut of good Bible teachers who connect people with the text and connect them to Jesus. And they connect them day in and day out with a clarity of mind and a clarity of thinking. People are walking in the front door of the church and then they're leaving in the back door of the church because they're not rooted and they're not grounded. They're not rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this is why this is why I want to encourage you. I know some of you have a busy schedule. I know that you have to get up and you have to leave. I know that you can't stay. I know that some of you can't linger, but some of you can. You see, The church is supposed to be a place, not where you just simply visit in order to satisfy a social need, but it is a place of discovery. Where in the course of conversation, when you look at someone and you say to them, how can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? What is it that's going on in your life that I can help you with. And trust me, trust me, trust me when I say that every time that I'm with you, it isn't always where I say to you, how can I help you? It's often where you say to me, hey, before we go, how can I help you? How can I make life a little bit easier for you? And then there's exhortation. Look what exert, it, this is the, the God-given ability, the special supernatural ability To offer counsel that is comforting and challenging and consistent with the character of God and the word of God. You might think that you have a gift of exhortation or counseling. But if it's counseling that's disconnected from the word of God and the character of God and the ministry of Jesus Christ. This is not the supernatural gift of exhortation. Because this gift comforts challenges and is consistent with the character of God and the word of God. This is the kind of instruction that brings wholeness and healing. But let me tell you the clearest way of determining whether or not it's from God. And that is, does it bring you into a place of obedience and submission to what Jesus says? This is the very special ability to excite, to motivate, to encourage, to comfort, 
to warn people. This gift often accompanies the gift of an evangelist to stir up people, to make a decision for Jesus, to stir up people, to walk away from sin, to stir up people, to walk away from the emptiness of their life. When we saw the little blurb earlier of the little kid walking down the road and you heard a tiny voice say, I walk three hours a day to get water. And some of you watch TV for three hours a day to fill a different kind of emptiness, to fill a different kind of void. This gift is used to arouse people so that they'll get busy for Jesus. This gift is used to stimulate and encourage and say, Are you tired of living in darkness and wickedness, estranged from God and all that he's called you to? And by the way, the word is parakleo, and it means called alongside to help. The paraclete is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. It occurs three times in the book of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 30. Chapter 16, verse 17. In other places, it translates the word beseech. It can also translate the word comfort. Because it combines two big ideas. Comfort and encouragement. In one word. Preachers motivate people to change. People with the extraordinary gift of exhortation are often involved in men's discipleship, women's discipleship, in biblical counseling, encouragement. These are the people who are trying to connect people to Jesus. And then, of course, giving. He says, he who gives with Liberality, meta didomei. He who gives with liberality, lots of people with this gift would, would self identify not as liberals, but as conservative in their politics, but they're liberal in their generosity. The meaning is you give of your possessions, your money, your clothing, your food. Some God-given people have this amazing, special ability to make money so that they can spread the gospel and help the poor and build the church with liberality. That It isn't a political term. It's actually a philosophical term. It means with simplicity. It refers to the motive of giving. The idea being, I'm going to give. Why? Because this is what God wants me to do. Why? Because people need help. Why? I don't have any other reason. People need help. People need help. They need help. Givers are generous and trusting. R. Kent Hughes writes, quote, Those who have this gift are to exercise it with ulterior motives or hidden purposes simply out of love. This is where Ananias and Sapphira failed. When we give, it is simply to glorify God and to meet the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ and the world. And so in Matthew 6, 3, it says, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul writes, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. I want to give, and I'm happy to do so. And then leadership. This is the special ability to influence others, to cooperate in harmony and unity. In accomplishing the goals of the kingdoms of God. Or the kingdom of God. Let me repeat this. This is the ability to influence others. To cooperate in harmony and unity. In accomplishing the goals of God. This is why we can say with a great deal of assurance. This isn't a political definition is it? 
Because can you imagine a person who says to you, I want to influence others to cooperate in harmony and unity in order to accomplish political goals. Is that the supernatural gift of leadership? It isn't. Do we thank God that we have leaders? Yes. But the leadership that's here discussed isn't a civil leadership or a governmental leadership. Now, I think it's possible for a Christian to have this gift and occupy political offices, but I'm going to suggest that the gift of leadership has as its first love Jesus and the church. It's, a, it's the willingness to influence others towards harmony and unity for the purpose of bringing health and peace to the body of Christ. I also think that the gift of leadership, it's very interesting, the Greek word, proi, stamenos. It, it's a word that means it's the one standing in from. Or we might say, the person who's standing at the front of the line. In a way, that's kind of a definition of leadership, isn't it? It's the person who says, I'll go first. I'll love first. I'll minister first. I'll pray first. I'll do this first. I will be the first one to do this. One Bible scholar translates this, quote, One who presides should be zealous or the one who leads others. This is the kind of ruling or leading that requires good organizers and and managers. And so if you have a gift of administration, organization, if you have the supernatural ability to make sure everyone is on the same page and going in the same direction, then it's absolutely vital. And then the gift of mercy. This is the ability to respond to the needs and hurts of others with empathy and compassion. This is the gift that takes many forms, working with the poor, working with the handicapped, working with the disabled, working with those who are ill. As a matter of fact, when it says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, the word in the Greek language is hilarotes. This is the word where we get our word Hillary Clinton. Now, see, you laughed, and that's what I was doing. I was going for the joke. I'm just kidding. We don't get the word Hillary from that. But we do get the word hilarity. It means gladness. It means graciousness. I don't think that this means we turn the church into some SNL skit or some Saturday Night Live comedy routine. But I like a good joke. Hey, I heard about this couple that went in because they were pregnant and they wanted to get an examination for their baby. And, and so the girl went in and, and the doctor examined her and, she, and wrote something, an indelible ink on her belly, but you couldn't quite see it. So they went home and the husband got a, microf- a magnifying glass and, and read what it said. And it says, when you can read this without a magnifying glass, call me. Sometimes that's exactly what you need. I'm writing it in tiny, tiny letters, hoping that you will see. You know, some people think that there's no place in the Christian life for joking or cutting up. It is true that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But make no mistake about it. It was Jesus who said, when you fast, don't look gloomy like a Pharisee. And if you don't think straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel or a camel going through the eye of a needle isn't funny, then you don't understand Hebrew humor. Real humor is medicine. And so Vance Havner said, Faith in God will not get you everything you may want, but it will get for you what God wants you to have 
The unbeliever does not need what he wants. The Christian should want only what he needs, unquote. So very quickly, while we close, prophecy, that meets spiritual needs. Ministering, that meets practical needs. Teaching, that meets intellectual needs. Exhorting, that meets emotional needs. Giving, that meets financial needs. Ruling, that meets organizational needs. Showing mercy, that meets the physical needs of the body. Seven beautiful, fragrant graces. You know what they are? (laughs) It's cologne for the body of Christ. It's deodorant for the armpits. It's a way that we can smell really good when we hug each other. If Paul's advice were followed, can you imagine how healthy the church would be? This is why I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is talking with you about your gifts. Remember, the church doesn't give you the gift. God does. They're his. We use them for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, thank you for grace and the graces that you give and the gifts that you give. Lord, I know that if each and every person who hears this message would simply do only what you've called them to do, to discover the gift, exercise the gift, embrace the gift, then Lord, whatever shortcomings, whatever failures, whatever difficulties, Lord, we understand that we live in a fallen world and we're going to have real hard issues. But Lord, we so much want to do what's right and what's healthy. Lord, cause us to make the choice to exercise the gift that you've given to us. Lord, we make ourselves a gift to God. Lord, you in turn give gifts and then return us as gifts so that we can live a larger life, an abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's.